one of the ways I like to think about our practice is of meditation is we are uh, moving from the head, out of the head, to the body, to the heart. So it's a good equation, if you will. Uh, from the head, to the body, to the heart. We tend, of course, to spend uh, much of our time during our days in the head, if you will, uh, living in thought worlds. The Buddha called that state in which we are living in thought worlds, a state of becoming that which is, present moment of reality, becomes something else. The Tibetans call it a dream world. So our tendency is to live in these thought worlds. In meditation, we're coming out of the thought worlds. And really, I always say it's one of the first things we teach, right? Focus on the breath, focus on the breath. The mind is wandering, come back to the breath. We teach it in the beginner's class, uh, right from the beginning. Uh, but it's this process that you know, begins there, perhaps, and it's, it's a process that uh, will undoubtedly continue on for us throughout the course of our meditation practice out of the thought worlds to the body. So the Buddha's mindfulness, mindfulness means to put the mind on and practicing the Buddha's mindfulness. Mindfulness is the path uh, that the Buddha said leads us to awakening. The practice of mindfulness to put the mind on begins with putting the mind on the body and keeping the mind on the body. So when we practice mindfulness, when we practice meditation, when we're on this path, our our task is to keep the mind on the body. And of course, we use the breath as our center point, our anchor point. Uh, but it's essential that we develop this mindfulness of the body, and we learn to maintain mindfulness of the body in all of our postures. It's essential that we learn to do that if we're going to be awake. And again, if you think of that idea of being in thought worlds, it's like being in a dream, being asleep. Being awake means being in the body, keeping the attention to the best of our ability in the body, in all postures. And of course, uh, what we learn to do is to cultivate an experience of the body that's easeful, that's pleasurable. And this is what allows us to maintain our present moment awareness, our mind in the body. The Buddha came to realize this, that it wasn't enough just to come to the body. We had to cultivate an experience of the body that was pleasurable if the mind was going to stay there, because the mind, by its nature, inclines to that which is pleasurable. So we cultivate an experience of the body that's pleasurable so the mind can stay in the body. The Buddha said even himself, uh, who was very adept at meditation practices, uh, couldn't keep the attention on the body and in the present moment. Uh, he kept thinking about when he was a prince and all the worldly pleasures that he had. He couldn't keep the mind on the body until he learned to develop an experience of the body that was pleasurable. So he developed the middle path of cultivating internal skillful pleasure, the qualities of jhana. So the more we're able to keep the mind with the body, using the breath as a center point, the more we're able to uh, be uh, in connection and uh, uh, in tune with the heart, in tune with the heart. So the more we're in the body, 
the more we're in the body, the more we're in the body, the more our awareness inclines into the heart. So the Thai Ajans say, you know, at high states of concentration, your awareness converges right here in the heart, right here in the middle of the chest at the chitta, the heart, the place of your innate wisdom of love, compassion, and joy. So from the head to the body, and that's what enables us to, to get to the heart. That's how we learn to be in the heart. That's how we're training ourselves to be in the heart. We're training ourselves to be in the body and thusly in the heart. If you think of cause and effect, our task is really develop mindfulness of the body. If you develop mindfulness of the body, then you'll be in tune, able to be in tune with the heart. So we put a lot of our effort in the practice into doing what we did today, developing the breath, developing the body, so that we can be in tune with the heart, closer to the heart. Of course, it's a gradual process. It's a gradual process of days, weeks, uh, years. Uh, it's a process of uh, developing mindfulness of the body, developing mindfulness of the body. So this is one of the things I've, I've just noticed in my own practice over the years, how, uh, how the mindfulness of the body has developed, or I didn't have very much at all when I first started. Uh, I mean, there was some mindfulness of the breath, the, whole, the notion of the mindfulness of the full body wasn't one that I had really was able to develop much until I had been practicing for a while. And of course, studied with teachers who taught that. Uh, we really try to emphasize in the way that we teach meditation, the importance of the full body awareness, the full body awareness. So when the mind is in the body, uh, we're awake, we're awake. And you know, it's a gradual process, a gradual awakening to being in the body. So uh, along the way, as we make this pro as we make this uh, journey to the to the to the body and to the heart, uh, we meet dukkha. Dukkha, the word that often gets translated as suffering or stress. Uh, dukkha is good enough, I think. Uh, because it's one of those words, like many words in Pali, that don't get translated well into English. Uh, we like to think of uh, uh, dukkha as being that state in which we're blocked from the heart, or the heart is blocked. Uh, so uh, as we make this journey into the body and to the heart, uh, we're asked to comprehend dukkha. We're asked to comprehend the way that the heart is blocked. That's the first noble truth, to comprehend dukkha, to comprehend the way that the heart is blocked, this state in which the heart is blocked, to comprehend this state in which the heart is blocked. So what, of course, the teachings would suggest is that uh, this we, we, uh, we are uh, apt to be in this state when we cling, right? We hold on to the experiences of body and mind. There's liking or disliking. Well, clinging is really an aversion and desire. Uh, when the heart is blocked, uh, when there's clinging, the heart becomes blocked, and uh, clinging gives rise to becoming, the thought worlds. So we hold on to some form of aversion and desire 
liking and disliking, and we go into states of becoming. Uh, so when we're in, uh, in a state of dukkha, uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, we're in the head. We're in the head. We're caught in thinking. We're in thought worlds. The Buddha describes in, he described in his first sermon when he spoke of the Four Noble Truths, he spoke of two things in his first sermon, the middle path of cultivating an easeful and pleasurable concentration, and he spoke of the Four Noble Truths, and he said that there's this condition that we're in in which our hearts are blocked that he called dukkha, and he described the conditions that conduce to dukkha that lead to becoming, that lead to thought worlds. In other words, he described the things, if you want to put it in real simple terms, that we think about a lot, right? That we get caught in thinking about a lot. Uh, he described it, and this again is from his first sermon, setting the wheel of the Dhamma in motion. Birth is stressful, aging is stressful, death is stressful. So what he's saying is, you know, these are things that conduce to dukkha. You know, we don't like aging, right? Anybody like aging? You know, so it conduces. Anybody think a lot about aging or death? Anybody? Yeah. You know? Well, he's got a whole list. If you don't have those, you know, uh, and other other states that were stressful that conduce to dukkha and and becoming being living in thought world, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair, all human emotions, right? All human experiences that we have. These are these are endemic to being human. You know. They're, but they're, and they're stressful and they conduce to clinging and dukkha and becoming and being in thought worlds. This is the stuff that we think about. We think about our pain and our distress and our despair, right? Anybody? You, you, can, you have a list to choose from, right? Uh, here's a few more that he gives us. Association with the unbeloved. Anybody, anybody uh, stress over that? Think about that? Uh, separation from the loved. Not getting what is wanted. Oh, probably nobody here on that one. And then he sums it basically up really simple. In short, the five clinging aggregates, you know, experiences of body and mind, right? Experiences of body and mind. We like, we don't, we dislike, uh, they're painful, etc. We engage in where they're, where they're really enjoyable uh, and we want more and we engage in clinging and thinking about thought worlds. So our practice is to comprehend dukkha, this condition, this state in which the heart is blocked, and ultimately to, to, uh, to come to an end of it. You know, this is what he said. He, teach, he taught suffering, dukkha, and the end of dukkha. That's the practice. Comprehend dukkha, come to the end of it by letting go of doing what you're doing that's causing it. So the way to happiness is to uh, end dukkha, to, to uh, let go of the burdens on the heart, uh, to abandon aversion and desire, liking and disliking, and thus uh, to abandon those thought worlds. So the Buddha said the holy life is lived for the abandoning of becoming. The holy life is lived for the abandoning of becoming. So this holy life that we've engaged in you know, for the last seven hours has lived for the abandoning of becoming, the abandoning of these thought worlds out of the head, out of the head, into the body, into the heart. Now, the interesting thing, of course, is that 
how do we, you know, we may have a sense of uh, our suffering of dukkha, we may have uh, a somewhat more developed sense than other people because we've studied the Dharma and we've heard some of these teachings, uh, uh, but our tendency even then uh, uh, that we tend, what we, uh, that we exhibit, the tendency that we exhibit much of the time uh, in an effort to abandon dukkha is we try to use the head. We try to use the thinking mind to abandon dukkha, right? We try to use the thinking mind to abandon becoming. Uh, we try to analyze, you know, using the thinking mind. We try to figure out what the, what the, what the causes are and what we need to do to end dukkha. We try to fix it. We try to talk ourselves out of it. Anybody ever try to talk themselves out of their suffering? You know, I shouldn't be thinking about this. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to think about this. You know, this is, this is you know, right? We do this all the time. We try to use thinking to end thinking. Now you have to use some thinking, but really what you're using thinking for in your efforts to end dukkha is to learn to relate to it and comprehend it in a way that transcends comprehending it using the thinking mind. So you're using the thinking mind ultimately, uh, and this is kind of what this talk is about, so that you can, it's not about how you're using the thinking mind, it's about what you're using the thinking mind in the service of, which is to understand dukkha in the body and in the heart. We're coming out of the head, into the body, and into the heart to understand dukkha. Trying to end it, end our suffering, end our thought worlds by thinking about them. You know, the classical metaphor is like, it's like trying to clean a dirty cloth using another dirty cloth. You know, trying to clean an oily rag by using another oily rag. Or as Alan Watts would say, it's, you know, it's like trying to look at your own eyeballs. So our practice is about moving from thinking about dukkha, one way to think about this, or moving from thinking about our suffering, uh, moving from relating to it in an intellectual way, using the thinking mind, to developing a deeper wisdom that's non-intellectual, that's non-intellectual. 25 years ago this month, I taught my first Dharma class. <laughs> this month is the 25th anniversary of the first, uh, the first teaching that I did. Uh, my teacher at the time, when I began teaching, uh, was Eugene Cash, and, uh, and you know, and, and, I mean, he really taught me how to teach, literally to the point where, Eugene, I'm teaching this class tonight, this is my first class at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, you know, with just a small little group of, you know, a few undergraduate students in the little chapel on the campus there, and uh, I said, what do I do, you know? And he said, well, this is what you do. And he mapped it out for me, you know, and over the next three or four years, you know, as I taught different classes, and I think that's, uh, that was at this time of year in 1998, in the spring, in the fall, I taught my first beginner's class at New York Insight. Eugene, what do I do? I'm teaching a six week beginner's class. I don't know what to do. And he would tell me what to do. Uh, and he, he, was, he was a great teacher. And I remember once we were talking about my practice 
just in the many of the way, in the ways that I talk with many of you about your practice, you know, in general. And this is wasn't we weren't talking so much about my teaching, but just my practice. And I remember Eugene said to me, he said, "You're an intellectual," you know. And it was really clear to me at the time that he wasn't saying that in a way that connote, that 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 indicated that he thought that that was to my advantage. You know? You know, he was saying, you know, this is a drawback. You know, this is going to be a drawback for you. You're an intellectual. You know, and I prided myself on being an intellectual, you know, and, you know, straight A's, you know, all of that, and having, you know, a pretty sharp mind, I thought, but that's really, in many ways, a drawback to, for us, uh, uh, you know, if we want to develop deeper wisdom, you know, because if we, if we tend to be intellectual, we tend to rely on that, and we, figure, we think that we can use that to get to the place where we want to get to, you know, but really we need more than intellectual wisdom, you know, if we want to end suffering. So one way to think about this practice of moving from intellectual to deeper wisdom is we're moving from thinking about dukkha. It's very simple, really, in many ways. Very simple, right? Very simple, you know, it's like we think these things are complicated because we're complicated intellectual people who think things that are hard to do must be very complicated. Uh, but really, a very simple way to think about it in a correct way, right view, in terms of thinking about how we move from thinking about dukkha to a deeper understanding, having a deeper non-intellectual liberating understanding of it is what we learn to do is move from thinking about it to bringing awareness to it bringing awareness to dukkha, bringing awareness to the way the heart is blocked. So we move from the analytical thinking mind to practicing awareness. So uh, when, we're, when, we, you know, when we've been talking about this so much over the last few years, very simple, learning to practice a very simple awareness of uh, when we are suffering, when there is dukkha, right? So uh, now, of course, you know, in order to really be able to bring awareness in a skillful way to our dukkha, our suffering, to the way the heart is blocked, you know, we really need to be centered. We need to be alert. Uh, when we're centered and alert, then we know that we're out of sorts. You know, it's like, okay, I'm out of sorts. You know, so during the course of the day, it's like, all right, I'm out of sorts. What's going on here? That's kind of a good question. That's using the thinking mind to ask a question, but in the service of inclining you to develop a deeper understanding through awareness. Okay, what's going on right now? And the key to that question is what right now? Not what, went, what happened yesterday that's making me feel anxious. What's going on right now? Not what happened five years ago that's making me feel anxious, or not what's gonna happen next week, you know, or not, what's not what my habitual pattern is, it's like what's happening right now. Okay, right now there's this feeling of anxiety. You know, maybe it's subtle or maybe it's not so subtle, or whatever it is, worry, sadness, dissatisfaction. There's an emotional dissonance, right, that I'm feeling. And our practice is to bring awareness to that, not to think about it, not to analyze it, not to try to get rid of it, not to uh, try to think our way out of it, but to bring awareness to it as what? As a felt sense in the body. Right? So we're moving out of the head to the body. Okay, there's this dissonance in the body, this experience in the body. You know, and we might ask again in the service of supporting our awareness, well, what is it? 
and we might label it, okay, that's anxiety. You have to be really careful, of course, about is that anxiety or is it, you know, worry or is it restlessness? You know, it's like then you're getting into the thinking mind, right? Well, what is it? The anxiety, the restless, the, the label just helps us, you know, have a little bit of space so that we can bring awareness to it. Our practice is to bring awareness to it. So you might say to yourself, using the thinking mind in the service of supporting a non-intellectual understanding of the experience, let me be aware of this. Let me be aware of this experience of anxiety. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just like, and this, this is an analogy, but it's just like the Dharma talk right now, you know. It's like if you really want to understand the Dharma talk as the Thai utterance would say, if you want the talk to go straight to the heart, don't think about it. You know? That's why Ajahn Jeff would say, when you're listening to the Dharma talk, feel the breath. You know? So that keeps you in the body so that you can understand the Dharma talk in the body and in the heart and not to think about it. Our tendency, again, that, you know, using the intellectual mind is to want to think about it. Can we just feel the breath as you're listening to me right now and let the Dhamma go straight through to the heart? Now, that's what we're doing analogously with being aware of the experience of anxiety or worry or sadness or whatever it is. So let me be aware of this as a sensation in the body. And maybe there's another question like, well, what does this feel like? You know, what does anxiety feel like? You know, but just asking that question and not analyzing that felt sensation, but actually feeling that felt sensation. Well, what does it feel like? What does this feel like when there's this experience of being out of sorts? What is this experience right now of being out of sorts? You know, this anxiety, what does this feel like? You know, and you've got, what, just a couple of seconds, right? You know, I mean, that's all you need because, you know, the kind of understanding we're happening, we're talking about happens in, in, in a finger snap. You know, we're used to developing intellectual understanding that develops over time by reading a lot of books in the library. You know, so there's a time factor that goes into intellectual understanding for many of us that has really very little to do with the kind of understanding that's liberating. It transcends the structures of time, those kinds of weights and measurements. So we bring awareness to it for a few seconds. And of course, you only have a window that lasts a few seconds. Because after a few seconds, the mind starts to get involved, right? So you have a few seconds when awareness, we want awareness to be as pure as possible. That's why we're doing this. You know, it's like Michelle McDonald would say, we don't put this in the brochure. Come here on the retreat today, develop concentration so your awareness is as pure as possible. But, you know, that's kind of what we're doing. So awareness is pure as possible. You know, in other words, not afflicted with thinking about the experience of the anxiety, but just having awareness of it, just awareness, just awareness. Uh, and, you know, we're experiencing of it, uh, we're experiencing it in the body, right? In the body. That's the frame of reference. If you start to go into thinking about it, then you're in the head. You've lost the frame of reference, which is the body. Your ability to develop wisdom depends on staying in the body. So can I be aware of it for a few seconds and that, that let there just be awareness. Now, a lot of the trick here, of course, is we have to let go of the desire to want to do something, right? Because we always want to do something. I've got to do something, right? You know, and that's sort of our intellectual educational training. I've got to do something about being out of sorts. I've got to do something about uh, 
about this anxiety. You know, and, and in, in large part, of course, doing something means let me use the mind to try to, you know, uh, you know, to solve this problem of anxiety. So, you know, we have to kind of let go of that tendency to do something or to want to use the mind, right? To use that dirty cloth to try to clean another dirty cloth, <laughs> to analyze or to fix. Uh, and we just try to allow the body to understand it and thusly the heart. If we can allow ourselves to understand it as bodily experience, you know, then the heart can begin to understand it. So we just allow ourselves to understand it as bodily experience. So for me, I usually have to make a little note, skillful use of the thinking mind, right? Don't think about it, dummy. You know, just, just, just be with it. You don't have to do anything. Or it's just like a good note is don't do anything. Don't do anything, right? So you have to kind of train yourself because our, tra our, our habitual way is to try to want to do something about it or think about it or try to get... So it's like, you don't have to do anything. I'll just tell myself, you don't have to do anything. You know, and you know what usually follows on that? Oh, thank God. All these years of doing something, you just told me the best thing I ever heard. I don't have to do anything. So we allow the body to understand, to comprehend. This is what it means to comprehend dukkha. Doesn't mean comprehend it intellectually. It means comprehend it in the body and ultimately allow the heart to understand it. From the head to the body to the heart, to allow our innate wisdom to understand it. We all have this innate wisdom in the chitta, in the heart. What the Thais call the knowing quality. You know, so what we're learning to do is to use the knowing quality. You know, to use the knowing quality to rely on the knowing quality, and to trust the knowing quality, right? So this talk is really about trusting awareness, trusting your innate wisdom. This wisdom in the heart is what's going to liberate us. This is what's known as liberating or transcendent wisdom. It's the wisdom that will set us free, it, that will free us from dukkha, from clinging, and from becoming. This is the wisdom that will set us free. So sometimes you just have to remind yourself of that. Uh, you know, the wisdom in the heart understands you know, that we're holding on to this anxiety or worry or sadness or whatever it is. And it understands that by holding on, we're bringing about dukkha. It understands that the heart is blocked. That's something the mind can't really understand. You know? You're, 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 you know, it can understand it intellectually, but not on a level of, of, that's going to liberate you. you know, it's just an idea. You know, the heart understands uh, that when you're holding on like that, the heart is blocked. The heart understands the consequences of holding on, the consequences of dukkha, the short-term consequences, the long-term consequences of holding on. You know, these are things the mind can't really understand. Uh, the heart comprehends dukkha. The heart is what comprehends dukkha. Uh, the heart understands the karma of our dukkha. You know, the heart understands that when we're clinging and holding on, you know, that clinging and holding on that we're engaging in is part of a process of clinging and holding on, as the Buddha says, transmigrating and wandering on through these many lifetimes, uh, crying and weeping over uh, being separated from what's pleasing, another way to think about those stre stressful conditions, and being joined with this displeasing to the extent that we've shed enough tears to fill the four oceans. The heart understands that. The mind is like, what are you talking about the four oceans? You know? The heart understands the depth of our dukkha. 
the heart understands. The heart also responds with compassion. That wisdom and compassion are in the heart. The heart understands that we don't have to hold on to the anxiety or sadness or dissatisfaction or fear. The heart understands that what we're holding on to doesn't have to be held on to. It's anatta, it's not self, it's not ours. The heart understands that there is freedom from dukkha, from suffering. The heart understands that what the heart is like when it's not blocked. The heart understands what freedom is, from, what freedom from suffering is. The heart recognizes it, knows it. The heart recognizes nibbana, awakening. I always like the way Nietzsche described uh, you know, spiritual truths, you know, deep spiritual truth or spirit, spirit, uh, you know, the transcendent. You know, he said, you know, describe music to me. You know, he was, Wagner was his good friend, at least for a while. And he, he would say, you know, describe, describe Wagner's, this symphony or that one, you know, describe that. You can't describe it, right? You think of a beautiful piece of classical music or you think of the Beatles or whatever. You can't describe it. You know, you can't really describe the essence, the essence of that. You know, the mind can't understand that. So the heart understands music, right? You understand music in the body and in the heart or any kind of art or any kind of poetry or whatever. You understand it in a way that transcends an intellectual understanding, right? You know, that's the kind of understanding that we're trying to develop vis-a-vis -vis dukkha. It's the same thing. I love that. It's a great analogy, right? It's a great analogy that Nietzsche came up with. He was really into music, you know, and he really felt like artists were uh, artists and, 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 you know, spiritual practitioners were really people that understood, you know, the deeper truths. Uh, so we have to uh, learn to you know, to trust, right? We have to learn to trust. Uh, you know, concentration enables us to be in the body, right? This is why the full body awareness is so important. Concentration enables us to be closer to the heart. We come out of the head to the body, to the heart. You know, concentration, what we're doing here today, you know, everybody here is putting, you know, and this to me is one of the things that uh, I think is very poignant about practice, you know, and, and one of the things that's sad about the way the Dharma gets taught, or it's not really the Dharma, my meditation gets taught, all this effort that we put into concentration and hopefully getting into the body, because not all meditation techniques teach getting into the body, but we make all this effort to get into the body and then we forget about the heart. It's like, that's why, I mean, it's, I mean it's, there's great ease and peace in just being in the body and being out of the head, but you know, making that journey, it's like, it's like traveling all that way, you know? You know, it's like, it's like, it's like traveling all the way down you know, to Key West and, and not going to see the sunset, you know? It's like, what's the point? You know, what's the point, you know? It's like, that one just came up out of nowhere, but uh, so, you know, the, you know, it's like, you know, we're making this effort to get into the body, to get closer to the heart. We have to learn to trust in the heart. We have to learn to trust in our innate wisdom. You know, our problem, I, you know, you could say is twofold. One, you know, we're not in the body enough, uh, you know, and then two, you know, it's our lack of conviction in the heart. 
It's our lack of conviction and our innate wisdom and the Dhamma inside. You know, so the only way that you really can develop conviction in the heart and conviction and awareness is you have to try it. You have to practice with it, right? You have to practice. You have to practice bringing your attention, just the way I kind of went through step by step, to, okay, there's anxiety. You know, what's going on right now? I'm out of sorts. There's anxiety. Can I just be aware of this? What does this feel like? What does it feel like when I'm, when I'm uh, caught in this state of anxiety, dukkha? You know, and just bring awareness and trust in uh, awareness, to trust in the heart. Uh, uh, so try it. You know, practice it. You know, that's how you're going to develop trust. Try it. You know? But you know, it, it has to be like, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. You know, this speaks to what the Thai Ajans always love to say. What have you got to lose? You know, the way you've been trying it up to this point has, I mean, this is exactly where this fits in. Has, how's that been working? Thinking about it and trying to fix it and trying to understand it an analytically. How's that been working? I have my own cynical take on that one, right? I say, try it. If you don't like it, we'll refund your misery. <laughs> So this is what conviction is. You know, it's conviction in awareness. It's conviction in what's inside. It's conviction in the heart. So can we begin to trust in the heart? You know, in a moment of just bringing awareness to your experience, you start to get a taste, right? You know, a lot of what's happening, you may not notice, but you do start to get a taste when you bring awareness to an experience like anxiety or worry or whatever it is, uh, you know, in, in a, just a moment of awareness, there's discernment. You know, it's what Ajahn Sumedho says, calls intuitive awareness, but you begin to start to see, uh, according to reality, what's it like when you're not clinging? Because you're going from, oh, you know, I'm really anxious to, oh, there's anxiety, and there's that little bit of space, and clinging is abated in those two or three seconds or less, when you're just bringing awareness and you begin to start to see, oh, that's what it's like when I'm not clinging. You begin to start to see, oh, I don't have to cling. You know, there's a potential for not clinging. You begin to start to see, oh, what I'm clinging onto, I don't really have to cling onto, into. You begin to start to see the not-self nature of the objects. You begin to see what freedom is. There is such a thing as freedom from anxiety and sadness and worry and this holding on that I've been engaging in. You begin to start to know awareness, right? Just the quality of awareness, which is free. Free from suffering, free from clinging. You know, awareness is free, you know? Wisdom, you know? We charge you a lot for wisdom, you know? In our, in our you know, greatest universities. You know, awareness is free, you know? And awareness is free from suffering. So get to know this quality of awareness. Get to know this quality of awareness, because it's, you know, when there's enough space, the awareness is imbued with that wisdom. You know, you, you know, you're experiencing things in the in in the body, and when there's just pure awareness, you know, there's the understanding in the heart of the experience. So, talking about some philosophers here today, I always love what Sartre said. You know, life begins on the other side of despair. You know, the Buddhists understood that uh, the way to understand freedom, the way to understand awakening, uh, is through understanding, comprehending dukkha. If you want to understand what freedom is, you have to understand what non-freedom is. 
know, that's, that's, that's the challenge of the Four Noble Truths, right? Uh, if you're able to look at dukkha, but you know, not to look at it intellectually, if you're able to look at it with enough space, with just pure awareness, you know, and trust in that awareness, as you look at dukkha, you begin to see non-dukkha. It's one of those things that's hard to describe, but it, you know, it's like you know what that's like, right? You know, those moments when you say, oh shoot, I'm suffering. And all of a sudden, you know, in that moment, you realize there's such a thing as non-suffering, right? When there's that space, right? You just pull back from it a little bit. You say, oh, there's suffering. You know, and, and you start to understand that there is non-suffering. There is freedom from dukkha. So uh, we understand freedom through the awareness of non-freedom. If we can bring awareness to non-freedom, we can start to see freedom. We're able to understand what's on the other side. So, you know, the dukkha is the door to understanding freedom. It's the doorway to understanding freedom. So our tendency is to turn away from suffering. We want to get away from it. We want to get rid of it. But it's actually the door to freedom. It's actually the door to freedom. Or we may see it, but we try to understand it with the mind, right? You know, as you become a meditator, maybe you start to turn to it a little bit more. This is talk is really more for the meditator who's learned a little bit to turn to it and to look at it, but maybe isn't relating to it in a way that is gonna be most conducive to, to understanding it, to comprehending it. So we may see it, but we try to understand it with the intellectual mind. That's not the way through the door. That's not the way through the door, you know? The way out, the way through the door is through awareness. The way out is through the body and through the heart. That's what they said in Gestalt. I think it was Fritz Perls who said, the way out is through. It's through. It's through the body, and it's through the heart. So with concentration, like we've developed today, we're able to bring awareness to our experience, pure awareness. We're striving for our awareness to be as pure as possible. So there's space, and there's not that leaning into it or wanting to change experience, but just to bring pure awareness to our experience of pain, dukkha, suffering. You know, this awareness is the way through. This awareness will see us through. It's the way to freedom.